Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Joy Willette. Awesome. God's good all the time. And all the time, (laughs) God is good, man. He's so awesome. He's so holy. He's just anything and everything that we've ever wanted in life. He's our source. He's our strength. He's our breath. In him, we live and move and have our being. He is pure love. He is pure connection. And he is holy and he's fire. And he's worthy of our praise. Amen. Man, just worship just wrecked me. It's just like all, just all of worship this morning was just so about just the sovereignty of God and just his holiness and just how powerful and how majestic he is. Amen. When it, when it comes to this topic of, of healthy sexuality, that is really what is at the core root of everything that we're going to choose to walk in and believe is that foundation of God is sovereign, that he is holy, that he is the creator. Amen. And not only is he the creator and is he sovereign and, and omnipotent and omniscient and all those things, but he's also the best, most loving dad that there ever was that cares about every detail of our lives. And it's just such, he's just so amazing. Amen. Someone say, Jesus is amazing. (laughs) God is amazing. So last week, we laid the foundation for what it is that we're talking about and kind of where, where things came in, really in the beginning, where the lies came in. So if you missed last week's message, I challenge you to go back and listen to that. Listen to it a couple times. Take some notes because it really was a powerful reset back into what is this good and pure and holy gift that God gave to marriages. Amen. And it, it's sort of that factory reset of what is it that he intended by it. And it's important because we need to be washed in the water of the word. Amen. If you are saved, if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus, you are cleansed from all sin. You are righteous. You are pure. You are holy. But there's a washing in the water of the word that takes place that helps us to wash off the things of the world and like the little lies that try to come in and the things that, that come in. Now, we are saved, but we also want to make sure that we're partnering with truth. Amen? Amen. All right. So, God loves marriage and God loves sex. (laughs) And those two are one and the same. They cannot be separated. Amen? Okay? Uh, So I'm going to read a scripture to you. Matthew 19, 4 to 6 says, They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Amen? Deuteronomy 24.5. This is how serious God is about marriage. This is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is where all the rules and the regulations, and it's like so nitty-gritty, you almost hate reading it sometimes. This is one of the rules in Deuteronomy 24.5. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he's taken. (laughs) Somebody preach. (laughs) Okay. That's how strongly God feels about marriage and that gift. Amen? 
Amen? It's really powerful. Okay, uh, Proverbs 5, 18 to 19. This one might make a few people blush. It's not even touching the surface of what's in Song of Solomon. Proverbs 5, 18 to 19. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. That's how God feels. Okay. <laughs> now, he created sex to be this really powerful, captivating force that holds a marriage together, that con continually drives them toward unity again and again, so powerful that it actually creates life. And this is a story that he's telling about who he is as a father and how he feels about the church. Amen. I used to process and I would think, man, how sad for Jesus. That, like, he never got married. Like, he never got to experience love, and he never got to experience, you know, marital love and those kinds of things. And I'm, like, looking at that, and I'm just like, he is saving himself for us. <laughs> How powerful is that? He's the bridegroom. We are the church. We are his bride. Amen? He is saving himself for us. That's how powerful it is. So Jesus, I just thank you so much, God, for who you are. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you are pure, that you are holy, that you are righteous, God. And I just welcome you in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place, God. And I just pray, Father, that your love would rule and reign, that your truth would come in, Father, that you would anoint, God, uh, this message, anoint my words, anoint every ear, eye, heart, mind, body to receive what it is that you're saying this morning, God. And I just thank you so much for it, Jesus. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right. So, sex, religion shames it. The world perverts it, but God celebrates it. Religion shames it. The world perverts it, but God celebrates it. Amen? Now, the biggest reason listed for divorce right now is sexual incompatibility. But the church doesn't talk about sex. The world talks about it, and those are the ones that are perverting what it is. Okay, so this is why it's so important that we come in here and we start talking about this, okay? Now, here's what we have to do. We have to break shame, okay? So right now, in Jesus' name, I break every lie of shame right now in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear your truth, Father, that we would not hear through ears of religion and shame and the things that have driven us further into perversity and driven us away from Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray you would come in and break shame right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Religion shames it. The world perverts it, but God celebrates it. Okay? So here's the thing. And this is the challenge that we're putting out to marriages, and this is also my invitation to you to come this Wednesday night. This Wednesday night, we're going to be talking a little bit deeper about marriage, and also, um, this is also for singles, and these are for the adults only. So we're going to get a little bit more nitty-gritty into these things because there's um, freedom, and there's help, and there's hope for things that we may be struggling with or maybe not even realize that we're struggling with. And so I invite you to come and be, in, be a part of that night this coming Wednesday night. It's going to be really powerful. There's going to be a lot of ministry that takes place, and we're going to be talking about coming out of bondage in a lot of these areas. Um, it's going to be a time for us to share some of our testimony as well. It is not going to be live streamed, so I highly, highly recommend that you come and make time to be there at 6.30 this coming Wednesday night, and it's going to be really, really powerful. Amen? All right. So um, 
marriages. Um, we need to fight the fight in our government and in our schools because we need to fight for God's standards. Okay, what is trying to be taught right now, and in some places absolutely being taught to kindergartners, what is morally okay and the way that they were created and what is uh, something that they can process and think about. And I'm telling you right now, that is violating God's standard. That is violating freedoms of parents to be able to train up their children in the way that they should go, that when they're old, they won't depart from it. Okay, now there's a difference between allowing someone to sin and allowing someone to come in and teach everybody that sin is okay. Does that make sense? So if someone is out in the world and they're doing their thing and they're, you know, however they want to do that, whether it's promiscuity or whether it's same-sex relationships and things like that, that's really not my business. But when they come into the schools and try to teach that to my children, that is where we have to stand up and say no, amen, because grace did not okay sin. It didn't twist truth and say, well, now God's okay with that. It still brings bondage. It still brings pain. There are victims on the other side of those things. So we need to stand up against those things. Does this make sense? Okay. Now, it shouldn't shock us that people out in the world have all these issues going on because they don't have Jesus. Amen. So it shouldn't be that shocking. It's like we don't need to wear billboards out in the world and say, hey, you sinners, why are you sinning? <laughs> the reason they're sinning is because they're sinners and they need Jesus. Amen. But when it comes to teaching our children, there is somewhere where we have to stand up and the church cannot be silent. Amen. Really, really, really important. Okay. So we need to fight the fights in our government and in our schools, and we need to fight for God's standards, but we need a moral revolution in the church. We need a moral revolution in the church, okay? The church cannot look like the world does in this area. The church cannot be bound up with shame. The church can't be bound up with all of these different bondages in the area of sexuality or anywhere else because then we have nothing to show to the world. Does this make sense? So we have to go after these things in our own lives. We have to look inwardly first. Does this make sense? Amen. All right. We need to be able to be a beacon of light to the world and show them this is what Jesus intends, okay? Um, the world has many issues, many of which are related to sex. For example, abortion is the devil's solution for promiscuity. So there are consequences when we take what God intends as a gift and we use it for what we want to use it for. Amen. Now, if you've had an abortion, I love you. Jesus loves you. There is grace for you. There is forgiveness. There is restoration for you. Jesus loves you so much, and I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. There's no judgment for you. There is grace, love, freedom. But we also need to stand up and make sure that we're not aborting a generation. Amen. Really, really important. Thank you, Jesus. We need to get our marriages and sacred sex lives healthy. We can't just stand on principles and rules and judge the outside world for not following them. If we're just as engaged in impurity in our thoughts, our screens, infidelity, if we're disconnected, if we have disassociated sex in our marriages, if we're unsatisfied people who end up in divorce, then we are not shining the light of Christ to the world. Amen. Amen. We can't just congratulate ourselves for being married. And we can't just congratulate ourselves for being straight. 
okay? You're going to hear me talking on two sides of an issue, and I want you to hear this through the lens of truth that I'm not contradicting myself. Does this make sense? Okay? We need to stand up for truth. We need to love people well. Okay? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and against the wickedness in the heavenly realms. We need to separate what, the spirit that we're warring against from the people that we're meant to love and call into identity in Christ and to treat with love and dignity and honor and value. Amen? That is the heart of Jesus. He treated everybody with love and honor and dignity and value. And the ones that you see him being tough on are the religious folk. <laughs> okay? All right. Dysfunctions in this area have destroyed families, children, generations, and legacy. Fatherlessness, sexual abuse, um, as we already said, abortion is the world's solution for promiscuity. God's solution is the church. Someone say, I'm the solution. <laughs> Someone say, there is hope. Okay, the church is called to be the light and a beacon of healthy marriages and families. That's going to be the thing that shifts the tide in our culture. Amen. Do you believe it's possible? <laughs> Absolutely, it's possible. Okay, the, the very first church that was birthed after Jesus, okay, they were in a culture that highly promoted sexual promiscuity. There were all kinds of abuses going on at that time, but the gospel prospered. Do you know why the gospel prospered? Because it offered people true freedom in Christ. And it was a church that walked in power of the Holy Spirit and in victory. Amen. So when we are walking in power and grace and love and connection and all those things, and we are offering true freedom, we're going to shift the tide, but it's going to start with us first. Amen? How many of us pray for revival? Okay? Revival. My first number one prayer is, God, I want revival in my own heart. God, bring me back to my first love. Bring revival to my marriage, God. Bring revival to my family and in my kids. Because if we don't have revival in my family, how am I going to bring that to our church? And if revival's not happening in our church, how is this church going to bring revival to our city? And if revival's not happening in this city, how are we going to bring revival out to the nations? Amen? But I know that's where we're going. But it starts with us looking and saying, Jesus, what real estate do you want in my heart? Where am I believing lies that is taking up real estate that belongs to you, Jesus? Because his heart is always for greater love, for greater communion with him. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. It is possible. Turn to your neighbor say, it's possible. Turn to your other neighbor and say, we're shifting the tide. <laughs> God's grace empowers us to leave behind dysfunctions and not feed the evil machines of pornography and human trafficking. God's grace is empowering us to step out of those things and to be the beacon of light. Because I'm telling you right now, Jesus prophesied, the gates of hell will not prosper against you. Amen. The gates of hell will not prosper. Somebody say, the gates of hell will not prosper. <laughs> now, have, how many of you have been attacked by a gate? <laughs> oh, all these gates. I'm attacked by gates. Oh, I'm on the defensive against gates. Never, right? You storm the gates of a place because you are on the offensive, okay? Us as a church, we are on the offensive, 
Amen? On the offensive and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Amen? We're pulling people out. <laughs> Someone say, I'm pulling people out. <laughs> All right. So come be a part of this Wednesday night. Married couples, singles, adults, we welcome you to come be a part of that and uh, come be a part of the moral revolution movement. Um, there will be homework. So if married couples need some incentive, there will be homework in this area. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. <laughs> singles. Let's talk to singles for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you decide that. Uh, singles, we'll also be talking more specifically. We're actually going to have a moment where we're going to have singles and married separately to talk about separate things. Um, but a lot of it will be together. Um, dating, healthy boundaries. What are we protecting and why are we protecting it? How far am I willing to go? Those questions really need to be resolved prior to getting in a dating relationship and going on a date. Um, it's kind of like me trying to decide if I am going to get the epidural or not in the middle of labor. <laughs> it's probably good if I go in with a plan, amen? Um, just really, really important to, to have those things decided within yourself, to decide, like, what is it that I want? Why is it that I want it? What is my yes? So that when I'm saying no to premarital sex, I know that it's because I'm saying yes to great sex in marriage and connected, healthy wholeness and stuff that I don't have to recover from. Does this make sense? Amen. Having healthy boundaries, what am I protecting and why am I protecting it? We don't want to use sex in order to establish more connection in dating relationships because it's not going to be a healthy thing. Amen. Um, you erode trust out of the relationship when you move forward in sex without covenant. You don't want to reduce relationship down to this selfish act of I want something from you or I need something from you. Amen. It's ultimately a matter of trusting God and that his ways are the best and the most fulfilling. Amen? Okay. Now, um, here, here is the issue when it comes, again, because God is saying these things not because he's a rule follower and he's trying to keep you from having fun. It's because he loves you so much. Does this make sense? So when you give yourself fully to someone and you open yourself up and you say, come and experience me emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, and all the things, and they experience you like that, and then they say, now I don't want you anymore. It is devastating, and God never intended for bonds like that to be broken, ever. Those were meant to be established in a forever blood covenant. Does this make sense? That's why it, it can be enjoyed, because there's that safety of trust in a marriage covenant. Does it make sense? Okay. No shame on you. I said that about 10 times in the last message. No shame on you, okay? God has a wonderful reset button, okay? And he's awesome and he's full of grace and he can empower you in this area, amen? Okay. How amazing is it to get to marriage and say, I have fought my entire life to give you this thing and you are the only one. Amen? Amen. Sexual satisfaction in marriage only goes as far as trust goes between them. Amen? Really vibrant, beautiful, long-lasting, healthy relationship comes in the sacrificing, comes in the giving, comes in having standards, and in building something beautiful, and it does not come in self-gratification. 
this makes sense? So healthy sexuality in marriage, for example, means that my body's actually not mine, his body's actually not his, they belong to each other. We are other-centered, my heart faces outward, and I am to be more concerned with the other person than I am with myself. It's a giving and it's a sharing and it, re it requires the sacrifice of I'm leaving everything and everybody else behind forever to be joined with you forever. And in that deep place of trust is when we can experience the deep fulfillment that God means for that to be. Amen? Okay. Now here is the great thing. In dating, for example, when a man is managing his sex drive, um, that actually becomes fuel to pursue his future wife or his girlfriend. Does that make sense? Okay. So if she's like, um, not till marriage, okay, if he really wants her, then he's going to be in that much more of a hurry to get his finances in order, to get his life together, to honor her boundaries, to figure out how to relate with her, how to build trust there. Does this make sense? <laughs> really, really important. What's that? It's all true. It's all true. It might motivate him to stop playing some video games and get a job. <laughs> Okay, that sex drive is there to be a motivator, amen, and vice versa, okay? Really, really, really important, okay? Um, it's great training for marriage because what happens when the spouse doesn't want to or can't at the moment for physical reasons, okay? There is this training ground because this is not about self-gratification, Okay, and really my, my boundaries in this area is not even about the other person. It's not even just like, oh, I just want to honor my husband. That's powerful. That's really, really awesome. That's a great motivator. Man, I want to save myself because I want to give myself to this person that I haven't met yet. That's really, really powerful. It's really, really awesome. However, what happens when I get there and there's dissatisfaction in the marriage? Now, I know none of you have ever experienced dissatisfaction in marriage. I know none of you have ever had an argument, and none of you have ever had connection kind of ebb and flow sometimes in marriage, right? None of you, right? No one would attest to that, okay? So what happens when the connection is ebbing and ebbing and ebbing, and then it comes this way for a while, and it's like, man, there's disconnection, okay? That relationship is meant to be other-centered. It's not meant to be, what can I get out of this? And you have to meet my need, okay? So there's this area where we always have to manage ourselves Amen. And we have to manage ourselves because of the person that we want to be and not because that person deserves it. Does this make sense? And I'm pointing at Daniel and he deserves it. <laughs> Does this make sense? It's about my relationship with Jesus. It's about my character. It's about who I want to be as a person. It's about me not wanting to walk in bondages. It's about me not wanting to have bombarding thoughts and a bunch of warfare going on that's unnecessary. Amen. Amen. All right. Some people would say that cohabiting and premarital sex is training ground for marriage. Um, here is the problem with that. Um, when someone is in a dating relationship and they bond emotionally, sexually, spiritually, and then that relationship breaks up, their subconscious now has to try and figure out a way to self-protect before the next relationship. Does this make sense? And now, once you've done that with relationships two, three, four, five, and six, you have now developed all of these walls and all of this self-protection and stuff because those relationships were never meant to be broken. 
So now you come into a real relationship and you actually don't have the tools you need to be fully vulnerable, to be fully known, to let your walls down, to freely give yourself over to someone, body, soul, and spirit. You've actually warred against your ability to do that. Does this make sense? So I would submit to you, you haven't been preparing for marriage, you have been preparing for breakups. And I'm telling you, I love you, and I don't want you to have all these hurdles to overcome when you get to marriage, and then you're dissatisfied in marriage, and you're like, why can't this person read my mind? And why is this person making me so unhappy, but we have all these walls up and we're not able to connect? Does this make sense? I'm telling you this because I love you. There's no shame for you, but there's a reason that God designed things this way. It's because he's so loving. Amen. So, healthy sexuality, what is it? We were all created as sexual beings. It's part of our nature. Whether we're single, dating, engaged, married, divorced, widowed, we are all sexual beings. You being a sexual being has nothing to do with your marital status. Being healthy and whole inside of your sexuality is possible regardless of your stage of life. So don't push this off as like, well, I'll worry about this when I'm married someday because that's just not for me. Um, there's, er there's ways that we can um, be full and uh, whole in this area. Amen. So healthy sexuality means that you have been fully redeemed by Christ, which means that you don't have shame around your gender, around your sexual history, and around your past. Amen? It means that you would feel so much love and joy and peace in this area of who you are. Amen? It means that you're able to communicate your needs and your boundaries without fear and shame in this area. It means that you're not trapped in promiscuity, immorality, or pornography, and that you're not trapped in self-gratification. Amen? It means that you're not trapped in shame or condemnation. Amen? Being a, a healthy sexual person means that you have inner unity and peace with yourself, with your body, with your soul, and with your spirit. Thus, you have full unity with God, with your body, soul, and spirit. Does this make sense? Okay? You're able to be fully present with yourself, body, soul, and spirit without dissociating from any part of yourself, body, soul, or spirit. Does this make sense? Thus, you're able to be fully present with God, body, soul, and spirit. Why am I talking so much about being in unity with yourself? Why am I talking so much about not dissociating? Because there's this movement in our culture that is trying to get people to be virtualized, where I can divorce who I am and divorce parts of my body and say, this is actually not who I am. I'm going to decide that I'm going to be this thing. And I'm telling you, because I love you, that that way of thinking is the definition of bondage. That that is not going to bring peace and fulfillment in your life to divorce yourself from a part of your body that God gave to you. Amen? Inherently, in that way of thinking is bondage. And those are the things that we need to be set free from so that I can fully be present in my body with how God made me and all its perfections and imperfections, body, soul, and spirit, so that I can freely give all of me to someone else in marriage and that they can freely do the same. But if I'm divorcing parts of myself, there is actually not going to be fulfillment in that, and I'm going to be tying and tangling myself up in bondage every time. Does this make sense? Again, I'm telling you this because I love you, 
and also because there's this narrative that's being pushed in our culture right now, okay? Now, why am I talking about this aspect so much? Is it because that is just a uniquely bad sin, and man, we're just going to really nail that one to the wall? No, that's not why I'm talking about that one specifically. What I'm talking about when it comes to same-sex relationships, the reason why I'm highlighting that one right now is because right now that narrative is being pushed even to churches to say, you have to preach that this is okay and we're going to teach children that they need to explore that, that maybe God created them that way. And I'm telling you right now that there's a spirit of perversion that's involved with that. Now, let me also tell you, there's a spirit of perversion involved with anything we're regarding sexual uh, sin, okay? I'm not saying that's a uniquely bad sin because the truth is one sin is enough to send you to hell. We all need a savior, amen? But I'm highlighting that one because of the narrative that's being pushed right now. And that narrative is a narrative that is shutting down the voices of people who I know um, and some of my friends where they are not able to share their testimonies. It is actually illegal in certain states and in certain countries to share their testimony of coming into freedom in Christ and coming out of that lifestyle where now they're being oppressed, where that testimony is considered abusive. This is why we're going after that one here and why I'm preaching to this body of believers is because we need to make sure we're not buying the lie, okay? Because God loves us too much to allow us to do that. How is someone going to obtain grace if they think there is nothing wrong with it? Okay, how am I going to have the grace to come out of a life of adultery, for example, if someone has told me adultery is okay? God, you're an adulterer. That's who you are. So how could you possibly just, just continue to do what you're doing? God blesses that, okay? Now what happens is as I'm doing that and I'm experiencing all the pain of adultery, I'm experiencing the lack of fulfillment, now this is starting to put me at enmity with God who created me as an adulterer, and it says something about who he is. Man, he's diabolical to create me as an adulterer, and look at how dissatisfied I am with this life, and now there's no freedom for me and there's no grace that I can attain because I've been told that this is okay. Does this make sense? This is why it's really, really, really important, okay? Grace paid away so that our sins could be washed away forever. Amen? Grace did not make sin okay. It did not change God's heart about sin. And all the negative consequences about sin are still true no matter how we try to war against the truth of that. Amen? Okay. Dissociation is bondage. We talked a little bit about how our bodies are not biological, they're theological. Amen? Our bodies tell a story. And again, go back and listen to that message. It's really important. Okay? Um, look through all of the genealogies in the Bible. Read the entire Bible. You will not see anything in there where God blesses a same-sex union. You will not see that. Okay? If God created for that to work and for that to be fulfilling, man, he messed up when he created their body parts. And I, I don't want to get too graphic with that, but, but that union requires dissociation. Okay? 
And in some cases, it's very painful. In some cases, it introduces disease. Man, God is diabolical if he created people like that and create, he messed up. Does this make sense? And in some cases, you have to introduce something else because there are things that are lacking. Our God is not a God of lack, okay? Our bodies are biological, or not biological, they are theological, okay? Dissociating from our bodies is going to, it, it is bondage. And again, we say that out of love. So ultimately, we need to be married to truth. Somebody say married to truth. God is sovereign. We were created for his joy and to serve his purposes and not the other way around. God isn't there to serve our purposes or our needs. Amen? <laughs> okay. He's sovereign. He's our creator. Okay. There's this movement of humanism and anthropocentrism where it's like what, what humans determine to be true is truth, and it is not. Okay. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess him as Lord. Amen. When we reduce sexuality to what can I get out of this, what can I consume, how do I get my need met, um, we are already in bondage. Amen? All right. Now, here's the thing. Why, again, in, in a grace culture, and when I say a grace culture, that is Christianity. Like, grace is Christianity 101, Okay. So, um, and I know that a lot of us have come out of legalism and bondage in that way. A lot of us have come out of religion and, uh, and all those types of things. But when I talk about a grace culture, I'm talking about the gospel, okay? So when you preach the gospel and we know that we have grace and we know we've been, we've been washed in the blood of the lamb, our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, there's no shame for us. Why would we need to walk in the ways that Jesus lines out if we're free to do whatever we want? <laughs> Why would we bother to walk out when he says, hey, you should probably live like this? What, what is the, what's the motivation? Um, why, would we, why would we bother with that, okay? Um, especially when we know that he loves us unconditionally. The bottom line is because the ways of God and the behavioral requirements of Scripture reveal who God is, okay? So when God lines out the Ten Commandments, for example, okay, and when Jesus says, do not look on a woman with lust, okay, if you've, if you've looked on her with lust, you've already committed adultery, He's telling you something about himself. He does not look on women with lust. When he lines out in the Sermon on the Mount, be like this, be meek, you know, be a blessing, be a peacemaker, all these things, he's telling you things about who he is. This is his, this, it's a picture into his internal thought life. This is his character. This is his very nature. Amen? If you want to know and understand God more, you have to understand his ways. You have to understand how good and how kind and how loving and how truthful and how holy he is. Amen? If you want to know him and have deeper and deeper relationship with him. Does this make sense? Okay. Um, Exodus 33:13. 13, Moses says, 
Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I might, might find favor in your sight. Okay? So when, when we know God's ways is when we know who he is. Okay? Like, we had the opportunity, I, I got to, to share some thoughts with Angela, just how much, what I love about Angela. What is it that I'm sharing about her? I'm sharing, like, oh, man, these are your ways. Like, you're, you're like this. You're, like, unapologetically Angela everywhere you go. It's amazing, and you just love people fiercely, and you're protective. And I'm laying out her ways, and that's how I know who Angela is. Does it make sense? If we want to know our God fully, we're going to study his ways and understand his ways, okay? Because he doesn't teach something and not live it. Amen? That's how Jesus had something to impart to us. It's not about a rule book of do's and don'ts. It's about a heart posture that reflects Jesus' heart and value for relational commitment. Amen? All right. So... Let's put up on the screens Matthew 19, 3 to 12. Matthew 19, 3 to 12. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, therefore, God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if the, relation, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. Dang, what did that mean about the culture they were living in at that time? Okay? They're like, man, the disciples said this. It's better not to marry than to live in this kind of bondage with your wife. <laughs> but he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. So first of all, let's just talk about the culture of that time, okay? Women were used, married, thrown away, okay? Um, divorce, um, if you actually look up the, the meaning of the word divorce, it means to, like, put away, okay? Um, it's just like, okay, for a while we're doing good, and you make me mad, I'm moving on to the next one, and that was pretty much how, how life was. And Jesus came in, and he defended women, and he stood up for them, and he's like, hey, that's actually not okay to use women like that, Amen. But in that passage, Jesus is lining out the definition of marriage. And he says, God created them male and female, and marriage is a man and his wife. Amen? It's really important to understand that truth. Because, again, what, what happens when people try to unravel that truth and start to, to breathe this lie out of God is actually okay with this, what happens is we start to now question the divinity of Jesus. Okay? 
it starts to unravel who God is, okay? Again, we, if we're going to understand who God is, we're going to understand his ways. If Jesus was okay with them just throwing women away, just say, yeah, keep going. That's, that's awesome. Yep, you don't like them and they, they make you mad, divorce them, move on to the next one. That would say something about who he is. Amen? If we want to know God and know his heart, know his character, we're going to understand his ways. Amen? All right. Jesus qualifies marriage as one man and one woman. He disallows anything else, including polygamy. He disallows remarriage aside from sexual infidelity in the first marriage. Again, no shame on you. <laughs> there is a wonderful heavenly reset button, okay? I'm not trying to, to, to say something to you that's going to be shameful or con condemning. Um, there is no way that anyone can fit into Jesus' per perspective any kind of sex outside of marriage, which he clearly saw as exclusively male and female. Okay? It's really, really important. Now, it's also really important to understand that Jesus set a really high standard. Okay? He, he made it harder than the law, just like don't commit adultery. He's like, no, actually, if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. Okay? Now, number one, that tells you something about his internal thought life. He did not lust after women in his heart, which is awesome. Amen? But he's also saying something with that. He's saying, like, this needs to be fully lived into the deepest levels of who you are. Amen? Because it's, it's really important that we stay other-centered in this. Amen? Now, he sets such a high standard because it points to the fact that we need Jesus as our Savior. Amen? We all have sinned and fallen short of this. Amen? If not physically, then in our minds. If we're being honest. Any, any liars in church? <laughs> we all need Jesus, okay? We all need Jesus. Jesus paid a price so that we could be set free and begin again and give ourselves wholeheartedly to the vision of his kingdom. Amen? Amen. I want you to understand that Jesus is heavily motivated by Dignity for humans, value, love, truth, um, honor. Th these, are the, these are the values of Jesus. Really, really important to understand that. That was like something that was just like washing over me in my study time where he's just like, I could feel even his, his weeping over just human dignity, um, that he's just so motivated by love. And I want to share with you again, I'm sharing in this message on these things because I am not sitting over here on the tree of right and wrong, on the tree of, well, you can't do this and you can't do that because it's wrong, because it is wrong, black and white wrong right? That is the tree of religion. That is the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What I'm saying is if you want to be on the tree of life and connection, and if you want kingdom in all these areas, I'm speaking out of love and out of connection that this is how God says to do it. Does this make sense? And it's because he loves you and not because it's a rule book. Amen? Okay. So let's take a look at John 8, 1 through 12. John 8, 1 through 12. 
But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. How did they catch her in the very act? I don't know. And where her partner is, I also don't know. Okay? Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they say, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? He ha has no one condemned you. She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying again, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, one of the things I want to highlight to you in this passage and something that I've missed every time I've read that is that I usually stop before that last sentence, but that's actually part of that whole part. He ends that whole interaction by teaching the people, I am the light of the world, and those that walk in me will not walk in darkness. They're going to be lit up this makes sense? That's the end of that, that story, or at least partially. Um, so the first thing that I want to show you is that Jesus treated her with dignity and with honor. Amen? Someone say dignity and honor. He also told her to go and sin no more. But here his words are not condemning, they are empowering. Amen? Now, the other part I want to draw your attention to is he says, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone, okay? Now, a lot of people speculate what it is that Jesus wrote on the ground. I would love to know. We'll know in heaven someday for sure. Some people speculate that he started writing the law on the ground. Some people speculate that he wrote their names on the ground. Some people speculate that he wrote their sins on the ground. But there's no way for us really to know that. Um, all we know is he basically ignored them. <laughs> he stooped down, wrote on the ground as if he wasn't even hearing their accusations. And he just says, those of you without sin, you may throw the first stone. Okay, now it does say that each one of them felt convicted by their own sins and they stood up and they gave up their, their plight to, to stone this woman and they all walked away. Okay, now notice Jesus treats them with dignity and honor. It would be really easy for him to get upset and be like, I saw you with that prostitute the other day. How dare you come and accuse this woman? He doesn't call out their sin either. He allows them to be convicted by it. Amen. And he treats them with dignity and honor. Now, who is left standing with the woman that was qualified to stone her? Jesus. But he says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus does not condemn sinners. Amen. He's there to bring life and to bring life abundantly. Amen. 
He doesn't compromise and tell her her sin is okay. But he doesn't really seem overly obsessed with getting her act cleaned up either. Amen? And Jesus is so loving and so kind and so honoring. And I submit to you, um, you know, it talks about in the Bible how sin is idolatry, all those things. It's like it's adultery against God, if that makes sense. I submit to you that the light of the world came into that situation and they all actually realized that they were caught in adultery. Amen. They were actually all caught in adultery. And he treats them all with honor, love, dignity. And he allows them to let the word work in their own heart. And then they, they, they process, okay? Jesus is not in a hurry to make anybody a project, to fix anybody. Man, I am so glad no one held a gun to my head when I was trying to come to Jesus and say, no, you got to get this out of your life and that out of your life, and you better stop doing that if you want Jesus because that's not how it works. Amen. We want to treat each other with love, dignity, honor, respect, value. Amen. When you see someone who is devaluing themselves and they're putting themselves out there in a way that is undignified out in the world, I'm talking about sin, we don't want to call out and further devalue them and call them names and say that what a pervert or whatever it is. Because we actually want to call people up into their identity in Christ. Does this make sense? So that they can find him because he's the solution. What the Pharisees tried to do is create an us and them culture. It's, it's us against these sinners. It's us against this adulterer. And then the true light of the world comes in and he exposes it is all of us and him. And we all need him as our savior. Amen? So yes, we need to fight the fight in our schools and we need to keep things from being taught to our children that's going to put them in bondage, let alone anyone else's children. Amen? But when we're dealing with individuals, man, I'm glad no one told me I had to let go of this and that before I could have Jesus. I'm so glad that I could find community and love and support just as I was. Amen. I'm so glad that nobody tried to make me their project and tried to fix me. Amen. Because, man, that's painful. You notice Jesus is not in a hurry to fix any of them. He didn't go follow them and be like, well, let me help you with that sin that you're dealing with, and this is how. No, he just allows them to process and he knows that if they continue to follow him, they're going to stay in the light. Amen? So what do we do when we see dysfunction around us? Because the truth is this stuff destroys lives. It destroys marriages. It destroys children. It destroys legacy. Generations are being destroyed because of dysfunction in the area of sexuality in our culture. Amen. So what do we do? Um, in years past, um, the church has partnered with a spirit of shame to try and deal with this. And I'm telling you, shame is a demon. And as we established in the first message, the very first attack on human beings was that shame and sex got tied together when sin came in. 
okay? So there's this demon called shame that is warring against healthy sexuality. You are not going to cast out a demon with a demon. Amen? Okay? Shame is the problem. Why do you think we didn't get anywhere when we tried to shame people into healing? In addition, historically, many churches have rejected the spirit and the power of God who sets us free from bondages. So then what we've done is we've created a shame-based culture that is powerless to set people free. And then we tell people, you got to get yourself to heaven by white-knuckling your behaviors, and maybe you'll get there. And we promoted this image of Jesus that is not loving and is not who he is. Amen. Guess what? It didn't work. Guess what? It's never going to work. <laughs> Amen. I've known people that have encountered all kinds of abuses, and the church has shamed them, told them that they're wrong, but offered them no solutions. I've known people that have prayed and prayed and prayed for God to fix them or to heal them, but of course they're not finding that in shame and religion, and it didn't work, so they threw it all out. In sexual dysfunction, shame is the problem, so it can't be the solution. We need to get down to the root, and we need shame-free solutions. Amen? Okay? Um, what we actually need is we need to take a look at pain. And I know, it's like, we're talking about healthy sexuality. Why is she talking about pain? <laughs> we're going to talk more about that on Wednesday. Okay? Um, if we don't have a plan for pain, that's... That's at the root of all these things, okay? We'll talk more about that on Wednesday when it comes to pain, okay? God has freedom. God has solutions, and they don't involve shame or religion, amen? So how do we handle this in community? A family and a community protects one another and preserves one another's dignity, amen? Don't make someone a project, okay? Straight is not the goal. Jesus' redemption is the goal. Amen? Whether we're engaging in our own community with individuals or whether we're fighting against deception being taught in our schools, love, honor, dignity, value are Jesus' values. Amen. Name-calling, dehumanizing, crude jokes, judgment statements about people, this is not how Jesus operated, and I submit to you it's not going to be effective. If you're trying to preach Jesus to people and you want to see people get set free from bondage, that is not helpful. It does not draw people in. It is his loving kindness that draws us to repentance. Amen. The people that Jesus was toughest on were the religious people. Remember that people in deception are broken, they're hurting, and they're in need of Jesus. They don't know it, but they're in need of Jesus. Amen. We need to, we, we actually get to be his image bearers on earth. Amen. So let's define love and let's define loving people according to Jesus. Um, loving people means not dehumanizing people and not objectifying them either. Amen? 
It means looking to their interest ahead of your own, as opposed to pulling on another person out of personal need or to medicate my pain. Amen? It means not using people to get my identity needs met or to feel worthy of love. Amen? Again, I'm calling us up higher. I'm calling us up higher. And in a grace culture, we're very empowered to go higher in this area, okay? Um, objectifying people is something that Jesus is vehemently against, even in our thought life, okay? And I'm telling you this because I love you. It only takes a few rated R movies to start objectifying people around you. Now, am I creating a new law? No one in this church is allowed to go see a rated R movie? Nope. <laughs> but I'm just putting it out there. There are certain things that I don't put in my brain because I don't want to objectify people. Does this make sense? As, there's a statistic. It takes, I think it's like three, three rated R movies to start seeing every person around you as a sexual object. It's just like, how powerful do I want to be as a person is the question. Am I going to heaven? Absolutely. These are going to introduce bombarding images and thoughts. It's just something to, just to process with Jesus, okay? Um, Jesus demands that we always have an outward-facing heart that looks to others' well-being and never, ever objectifies people, not even in our minds. Thank you, Jesus. So we need a moral revolution, amen? How many of you want to see revival? Amen? How many of you want to see reformation? Amen. It's going to cost us something, especially in the way we medicate pain. Okay? The first church preached the gospel amidst all kinds of cultures that promoted sexual promiscuity and immorality. But why did it prosper? Because it offered true freedom in Christ and restored dignity to people, giving them a loving family to be raised up in. Amen? Church, you guys are amazing, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Amen? Okay? Let's come up higher. Let's lead by example, because truly there is no other form of leadership. Amen? Let's lead by example, because there is no other form of leadership. Amen? All right. Let's all stand to our feet. Do you want to come up, Daniel, as well? Yeah. Um, I asked the Lord, I'm like, what does the ministry time look like? And he's like, it's a call to action. And so I'm like, what does a call to action look like? <laughs> so yeah, so Jesus, I just thank you so much, Lord, for this amazing group of people. And I just thank you, Lord, for the destiny and the calling that you have on every single one of them, God. I thank you, Lord, that there is no shame and no condemnation in you, Jesus. But I thank you, Father, that you're walking with us in this journey, God, and that there's not a single area that you are meant to be left out of, God. So I just pray, Father, that if anyone in this room is struggling with any form of shame or condemnation or is struggling in bondage and things like that, I just declare that you are setting them free in Jesus' name. I just declare that you have already poured out the grace, Father, to come out of those things, and we just thank you so much for it, Jesus. We just give you glory. And I just pray for every single one. If, if you have it on your heart, it's like this call to action. If you respond to that in your heart, if you feel like, yeah, I'm feeling that pull, like I do want to come up higher, and I am, I'm saying yes to a movement. I'm saying, 
saying yes to a moral revolution, I just want you to wave your hands at me. So Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for every single one of these, God, and I just thank you, Lord, that you are empowering them, Father. Lord, that you are pouring out your spirit on your church, Father, and I thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against them. I thank you that today generations have shifted. I thank you that today marriages, Father, are turning around in Jesus' name. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have shifted the destiny, Lord, of the generations to follow, God, that they're going to see a mom and dad that are healthy and that stay together, God, that they're going to see what a true father looks like in this day and age, God, that they're going to be a beacon of light to this generation, God, and that people are going to look to the Christian church to understand how to love well, that people are going to look to the Christian church to see how do we connect well, who are the experts in marriage, who are the experts in connecting and loving and being Christ on earth, and they say it's the church, go there to find hope, and I just thank you, Lord, for your truth and for your freedom, God, and I just bless your name in Jesus' name, amen.